Hey everybody, welcome back to another Photog Adventures podcast. I'm Aaron King. I'm Brendan Porter. With families and day jobs, we know it's hard to find time to get out there with your camera. So Brendan and I joined together and made the commitment to go out consistently and build up our landscape and astrophotography portfolios. We live in Utah and are lucky to have so many beautiful landscapes all around us. Not only do we have five national parks right here in Utah, but we are only a day or less drive away from 30 other national parks. So we created PhotogAdventures.com, this podcast, and our YouTube channel to chronicle our adventures. Come along with us to amazing places and learn from our mistakes and our successes. We hope that you get out there too and have a photog adventure of your own it's episode 39 welcome to join us guys from a crazy location we just did a crazy location ever from your car but we're doing it again yeah we're doing it from the car again but we're in (sighs) medford oregon this time so we're freaking stoked that we're going to talk with thomas heaton today we decided to take off a day earlier to our oregon trip so that we can get up here to bandon oregon before we go to crater lake And when we decided to do that, we had a pending appointment with Thomas Heaton that during these weeks in June, one of them's going to work out for him. And a day that works out, let's go for it. Let's do a podcast. Yeah. And so he chose today, which happened to be the day we were driving (laughs) all the way through the night. (sighs) Well, we only drove through the night so that we could get here in time for him. Yeah. Long story short, again, we ended up with some car troubles. We had engine troubles. Nothing actually stopped working, but it freaked us out and it delayed us a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So it was crazy. Pretty interesting getting up here. There was a big fire that happened on the way up here in a package truck. <laughs> got and blocked was... <laughs> at Winnemucca. We're heading north, and the Winnemucca Road, the only road during to go this route, other than we go an hour route the other way, was blocked by, was it a UPS? No, it was just some cargo truck. It was like a UPS truck, yeah. And the package is yeah. on the third car in the back. What do they call that, third trailer? The third trailer was on fire. It was on fire. And just cop after cop after fire engine engine was coming just crazy down this highway. So it was a nuts night. Brendan and I have slept maybe an hour each while we've taken turns driving. We are now, it's 2.30 at this moment. We just finished talking with Thomas Heaton. We had a bizarre night last night. We're tired, we're exhausted, and we still have to drive three hours from here. Brendan's looking at his map app and seeing that if we kept driving all the way up to Bandon, we were going to get stuck with 17 minutes past the time that we meant to meet with Thomas. And, and we didn't want to put him on hold and make him wait. Oh, no, not to mention all the setup we still had to do. Right, which was quite a bit. We <sighs> set up for nearly an hour to get everything just right, to get the Skype call, <sighs> to get our audio set up, to get our uh, mic stand set up in the car in weird ways, like up against the steering wheel and all kinds of craziness. So <laughs> It was crazy. We did this crazy setup. We got it on the, we got it on the GoPro so you guys can see some of that uh, footage later. <sighs> yep. Check out our Photog Adventure video for Oregon. It'll be coming out late July. That's when it'll be out there. But check it out. You'll see there's a little stress in our eyes. Yeah. <laughs> if you're new to the Photog Adventure podcast, this is our opportunity to talk about adventures that we go on. And with Thomas Heaton, we wanted to hear about some of his adventures. And we were really stoked about getting him recorded, having the video feed, so we can share you share with you him talking about it and us reacting to it all on the YouTube channel. But the device that we use to record it, it stopped having mic. The microphone stopped. It was working before, us. but we it stopped hear him working. Okay, but it was just weird. So. It stopped having a mic that was working, and we sat there. They're talking to Thomas, and he kept saying, "I can't hear you guys. I can't hear you guys." So poor beginning, but awesome chance to talk to him and hear some of his stories behind the scenes. Sit back, enjoy, listen to Thomas Heaton, and let's hang out with him for a bit. Yeah. Congrats on the silver play button. I'm sorry it takes three months for YouTube to send it to you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> it's great. It was. Um, I didn't even know. They existed until somebody emailed me when I was on about 80,000, so it was quite cool to receive. Oh, really? You had never seen someone with one and thought, hey, 100,000 is the first milestone? No, no, because I'm not very good at 
YouTube really. Like I don't. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there's lots of features on there I could take advantage of, but I, I, I don't know. I just upload videos. Nice. Yeah, I'm curious. You changed to two times a week. What was the catalyst that made you decide I want to move to twice a week? From when you really, when you changed from sporadic uploads to once a week that was already a huge thing and that was awesome you're consistent every wednesday what made you change the idea to go to a sunday video too uh, well originally i think i had a few videos in the back catalog and it didn't make sense for me to keep them um you know release them just once a week because i'd be really for example i'd be releasing like a spring video in summer or a winter video in spring so i i threw a couple out on a on a sunday and then i I recently um, started shifting more of my time and my energy towards landscape photography rather than my studio. Um, so all of a sudden, I, I just found I had twice the amount of free time I used to have. So I thought I could probably go for twice a week. And with me shifting towards landscapes full time rather than just my studio, um, it also made sense to try and make more more income from this. So essentially, by uploading twice a week on YouTube, um, I, I can yeah. double my ad revenue, hmm. which actually in practice doesn't work. Because it doesn't, I don't know if you're aware of the YouTube ad boycott. So, um, well, I'm aware that that's case. happened recently, but has it affected you, obviously, even though you have twice oh, the video? Yeah, yeah. Oh. If you just look at my my graphs and my analytics and it's the same for everyone so it's not just me um there's just a huge consistent drop um and now it's starting to level off and come back up but yeah there was probably like a eight six to eight week period where you can just see it go down hmm. um, oh, and it affects me a lot less because all my content's really ad friendly so the adverts never got pulled from my video but there there were for a period of time there were a lot less advertisers in the pot so gotcha my mm. share of the ad revenue was a lot smaller yeah and, and you yeah. think you get paid like a month after a month and so for april you'll get paid at the end of may so you're, you're about a month behind so all this happened two months ago mm. um I'm, I'm seeing the effects still gotcha mm. yeah. have you my, found that with squarespace sponsorships it's evened it out a bit or were oh, you God, yeah no with that they are brilliant because Squarespace, um, yes, obviously Squarespace pay um, because I switched the ads off on my video. So um, with the ad revenue, it's never guaranteed. You know, it fluctuates up and down. Yeah. And um, but with Squarespace, it's consistent and it's twice a month. Um, oh. Yeah, and it helps. It helps a lot. So their support is most welcome. Yeah, absolutely. I know that as commenters, you see the people who are fighting against it saying, oh, we've heard it way too many times. And then there are people like me who felt, oh, geez, if this keeps him going twice a week, we don't care. If you could get another sponsor, would you do it three, four times a week? Are you able yeah, to... Yeah, I, I, I don't understand people's problems because <laughs> the adverts at the beginning of the video can be five seconds, can be 20 seconds, and they can be yeah. for anything. By me, just doing five seconds at the beginning of each video saying hey this video is sponsored by squarespace that's it that's literally all i do right and uh, and it's great because yeah that that means that that one video is viable it's, it's essentially paid for itself if that makes sense to so say i have to travel mm. somewhere um so when people get annoyed and say oh my god you know 
can't believe you you've sold out what you're advertising for. <laughs> they, like, sold out. They, they don't. They can't. They can't compute it. I, like I, I, I'd understand if I left the ads on the video, but I'd switch the ads off. Right. 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 So, and you have no obligation to Squarespace to do that, do you? So it's just something no, that you've decided. No, I don't. I do, I do not. It's not in my contract. I oh, wow. I keep the ads off. Ah, see, everyone um, needs to understand. So you're not double, double dipping even though you could. So, wow. Yeah, and, and again, so I get, I'm not going to say it upsets me, but I just get confused. Some people just <laughs> can't see outside of their own little bubble. Yeah, thing. right. That I'll, annoys me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know you put a ton of work in the videos. You put a ton of work in your landscape photography. Have you gotten to the point, no numbers, nothing like that, but have you gotten to the point where you feel like in X amount of months, I'm going to be doing this full-time, or are you already doing it full-time? Um, well, basically, my full-time job before this it was my studio. So I, I've had a studio for about five or six years. Okay. Um, and it's all commercial work and products and some headshot portraits, that kind of thing. Basically a bit of everything. And I didn't, you know, I wasn't enjoying it. It was very much a job. Right. So it was, you know, it was great because it was my studio and my business. Right. But um, it wasn't very fulfilling and I wasn't too passionate about it. I was just, you know, just grinding through every day. And then I started YouTube few years ago two and a half years ago and that was because i was watching mountain biking videos i think it was um on youtube and i thought oh i wonder if there's any photography videos and there were a few and i, I thought this is great i'm gonna do this next time i go out so i went out and i took my iphone and i filmed myself and made a video and it's very addictive so you do one you do another, <laughs> you do another. i was looking up my picked up some traction so I started to make more. Can I stop you there? I want to hear about the traction yeah. because was it all because of the, it wasn't a meteor. It was a crazy space debris that you captured. Was the traction on your YouTube channel a, coming from that moment or was the attraction, mm -hmm. the traction you got on YouTube, just an organic thing that you saw over no, several just, months? Organic, totally mm -hmm. organic. The meteor photograph was probably about a year a year before I started YouTube. So that had nothing to do with it. No, okay. it was... Um, that was your photography. I, don't know. I think I just... I think I got into YouTube at the point where YouTube's growth was accelerating. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's probably a mixture of good timing because although there were a few photography channels on there, um, obviously you've got the big ones, but people similar to what I do, such as um, Ben Horn, for example, mm -hmm. he's been doing it for years. Um, so he was on there and... There were a few others, but there weren't many. I only found a handful of, you know, videos that weren't necessarily teaching, but were just taking you along on the shoot, which is right. what I was looking for. Right. Yeah. Um, and there, there were Nick Carver and Ben Horn are two that spring to mind. Uh-huh. And both large format, both American. And I thought, well, there's nobody doing this digital in, in the UK. So, yeah, uh, I think it was just a combination of good timing and uh, yeah, just I mean, there's there's tons of um, photography uh, video creators now, which is great. It's a really good thing for the community and for YouTube as a whole. So that's brilliant. But yeah, when I started, there was hardly any, and so mm. I think it was just organic growth. So it's just such a different world that you really can't say. Here, how I distilled it down to these three things that I did that succeeded. Here's what others <laughs> should do. There's nothing that simple. 
What you should know about me is I, I'm not very strategic. I don't, you know, you can, I don't, um, I should plan more and I, I, I should say, right, let's treat this like a business. But I really don't. I just, um, things just seem to go well. And if they're going in the right direction, keep doing it. Right. If I steer off track, you know, then I think, okay, what would. Oh, no, we have internet. Uh, the thing the general okay. ethos is it's important that I just keep doing what I enjoy. We feel the same way. I don't know if you've ever seen any of our videos, but when we got into it, we got into seeing you, Nick Page, doing these travel vlogs yeah. or going out and doing photography vlogs. And we thought, we're trying to learn this skill in astrophotography and get our landscape photography better. And we thought, well, let's go out. Let's just chronicle it. I remember hearing you on a podcast talking about if the video or if the picture didn't turn out, you don't share the video. That was your ethos in the beginning. Mm. I don't think yeah. you've changed that, but I do think that you're sharing more of your your failures that you learned from. Yeah, because what I've begun to realize was people aren't necessarily interested in the final image. They, they just like to follow the story. Mm. So mm -hmm. if I... If the image is no good, it's actually really valuable for me to still share the content and explain why it's no good. Um, so right. yeah, yeah, I, I will, um, and that relieves the pressure a little bit as well. So <laughs> yeah, it means I can go out without the fear of it all being for nothing. Right. We found it very similar as well. Do you have a story that sticks out to you of something where you went out, did all the work, and the image just wasn't turning out, but you mentioned on your blog that you feel like there's more to landscape photography than the actual photography. What does that mean when you go out and you get nothing in the image, but you still enjoyed yourself? What are you talking about? Well, when you go out um, for landscape photography, for me, it's always having the camera is always an excuse um, to just go out and enjoy the outdoors. So, you know, landscape photography and being in the outdoors go hand in hand. So it's, it's, um, it's two completely separate passions married together into one, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. right, right. Oh, yeah. I could leave my camera at home and go for a 10K hike around, you know, up a mountain or in a glen or something and have an amazing time. Um, and I can bring my camera with me and try and capture that. And then that adds this extra joy onto the hike. So if I go out with my camera, I always tell myself I'm not going out just take an image um, I'm always there for the entire experience which means even if I don't get a photograph I've still enjoyed the walk the fresh air the sounds and the sights and the smells and everything that comes with just being in the outdoors hiking camping simple things such as just sitting down and enjoying a hot drink in the middle of nowhere <laughs> nobody around you know and yeah I've got a camera here and a tripod great let's take a picture this is a lovely view but if, I, if that doesn't happen, if the clouds roll in and we lose all visibility, it doesn't matter. Um, there's, you know, the, there's no investment gone in to the photography side of things. It's not like I've hired a studio and hired a model and got my lighting set up and I tried yeah. to photograph this model and it didn't work yeah, because, point. well, yeah. whatever reason. Then mm -hmm. that's different. Um, but landscape photography is very organic natural and i think to have a passion for it you also need to have a passion for the outdoors um or certainly it, will, it helps yeah you have to have a patience yeah, for it yeah. if not a passion yes exactly i think about our planning when we plan how we go out we love milky way photography and so we treat it like 
if we go out for this Milky Way photography new moon and it turns out to be bad weather, we've got landscape photography. So we have plan A and plan B. The toughest thing for us is to plan for landscape photography because you really need to be closer to the very day to know the weather, the, how the weather pattern is going. And then if it, for any reason, doesn't work out and it's totally clear, but then the moon is up and a full moon's up, you really are out a chance on plan B of Milky Way photography. So we kind of always organize around the new moon when we take our time to leave our families, leave our jobs and go and do stuff like we're doing right now in Oregon. For you as a landscape photographer, do you ever plan more than six hours out or do you just stand available for it? Um, no, I, I do. I, when I'm shooting local, um, so in the north of England, I don't plan more than one or two days in advance. So check the weather and then go, right, let's go here and shoot this or shoot that. But when traveling abroad, you kind of have to plan Ooh, right. way in advance. You need to know where you're going to stay. You need to know what areas are going to yield the best results. Because when I'm shooting locally, if I go and don't get an image because I planned it poorly or whatever, it doesn't matter because I can just go back. So if I go to a location that yields no results, and then I know not to go there again. And that's fine. I'll cross it off the list and move on. But if I'm traveling to a specific location for a few days, I can't take that chance. You know, I have to know that the location is going to yield um, a good result. And that's a good thing and a bad thing because it kind of eliminates the exploration side of things. You know, I could, I could mm. travel to... Say I traveled to Yosemite National Park and decided that I wasn't going to shoot any of the classic views. I'm going to go and I'm going to find my own images. Get away That's from the amusement park. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's quite risky because I, you know, I travel two, 3,000 miles, pay for flights, pay for hotel. I've got five days. Uh -huh. There's no guarantee that that's going to happen. So, hmm. um, yeah extensive planning when I travel abroad. So let's hit on that because you have a story that I think I think that maybe you'll find that you're not able to show us it's extensive planning, but it was also extensive planning. You're right now, you're wearing a Zion National Park shirt. Behind you is a calendar from David J. West. You've got a guy who's an <laughs> awesome photographer down in Zion. So did you meet him at his, uh, at his gallery? Do you just find that calendar somewhere? No, I went into his gallery and had a good chat with him, looked at all his work. Yeah, it's nice, it huh? Great. So I, yeah. I bought one of his calendars. I would have liked to have bought a big print, but that's the problem with travel. You can't bring <sighs> things home. Yeah. yeah. What would you do unless you rolled it up, but you probably don't want to roll it up? Even then, mm. it wouldn't wouldn't go in the case. Ah, um, you went there for a few days. You miserably had barely any time there, and you had Ben Horn's help to get the great shots. How did that – did you feel like you came out of that having extensively planned and you hit it? Yeah, I, honestly, the, the Zion trip was really, really good because cause I had the help of Ben, basically. Um, not on site. I actually only met him once for like 10 minutes. <laughs> oh, wow. Shame. So when he walked behind uh, the camera, that was a 10-minute moment right there? That was it. Yeah, that was it. I'm picturing that so, you're out wow. there with him for three days and you're having campfire chats. <laughs> Nothing like that. Absolutely not. Oh, uh, bummer. He, he arrived... I was there for three days, and he arrived at the end of day two, and then he was out shooting all day, I was out shooting all day, and then it was on my last evening in Zion, so the next morning I was leaving, um, and I, 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 knew, I knew where he was in the park, because <laughs> we'd been on email, but um, I, I hadn't seen him all day, but I saw his truck, I saw his car, <laughs> he's around here somewhere. And then at the very, very end, I spotted him um, 
Yeah, and you can't miss him when you see him. Oh, there he is. Oh, yeah. Oh, went over and said hello. But yeah, with, with Zion, it was really simple because Ben just sent me a nice email and told me how it worked. Because when you're there, it's easy. When you're there, you know there's a bus service and you know there are gates. You know, you, the first bus is at seven o'clock and uh, the sunrise is at eight and you have to be out of the park by six or whatever it is. But sure. If you've never been before, you, it's hard to visualize and it's hard to picture this. And you, you kind oh, of, yeah. it's, yeah. So Ben basically explained everything. He said, you can't drive in the park in the main canyon and you can't access the park until 7 a.m. when you have to go on the bus. And then he said, it's going to be incredibly busy. So you need to be out early. And he told me some areas to avoid and some areas to check out that will be a lot mm. less busy, but should have excellent autumn color at this time of year so i already had an amazing insight into zion national park so nice. when it actually came to turning up and exploring with my camera i already knew park very well obviously using google and looking looking at google earth and looking at other photographers blogs and how people had written up on the on the park um but yeah none of it prepares you for actually being there but it certainly right. helps a lot so i was able to be a lot more efficient um with, with everything hmm. well that story in the videos you've sensed that you felt like you had short amount of time but then it, we talked to you now and you feel like there was a lot of a lot of there that went really really well and you're excited about it are you going back yeah i mean sorry you're gonna go back soon are you gonna head back out there oh, soon yes Hundred percent. I was hoping to get out there this year. Um, oh, hang on. Let me look at my calendar. This year is going by crazy fast for us. So if you feel like it's a whirlwind and can't believe summer's yeah. halfway over, it's a bad feeling. Oh my gosh. I know. I know. <laughs> the thing, the thing with Zion is it's actually really easy to get to from where I am because you can fly to Las Vegas quite cheap. Really? Oh. Quite low. Yeah, because it's one of those. It's just one of those airports where there's always offers and always deals. Mm. And then from Vegas, it's only a two-hour drive, maybe. Oh, it's nothing. So. It's easier than our drive from our home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's always a possibility I'll go back this year. I'm in um, Maine, beginning of October. Um, so whether or not I can squeeze in a last-minute flight back out to um, to Vegas, maybe I'd love to. If not this year, definitely next year, hundred percent. Because it was one of the best places I've been, one of the best experiences mm. I've had. The images I got may not be the best from there, but the experience I had was just lovely, really <laughs> nice. You know, it, was, it was such a relaxed atmosphere, um, getting away from the crowds and being able to find your own little corners of Zion. It was perfect. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm always proud whenever I see you wear that Been There Utah shirt. I'm always proud when I see that <laughs> yes, in the video. I love that shirt. I wear it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> when you were, um, oh, you were saying, okay, we're Utah guys, and we think of Zion as a quick place to go to. You're thinking if you go back to Zion, you want to focus in the fall. Is it fall colors? Is it what you want to hit? Yeah, I think, I think definitely the autumn time, and I'd want to go for longer. So I was thinking maybe I'd just take my camping gear and uh, just go for like I'd love to go for 10 days mm, because yeah. when I was there the, the weather was nice and then it wasn't windy or wet but I didn't get the clear blue skies for getting in the canyons and photographing the reflected light uh, which mm. was a shame so that's what I really wanted yeah you're in the and, narrows or somewhere yeah so I'd like to I'd like to go back and have longer so more time to explore um, because I, I I just kept seeing things 
thinking how nice it would be to shoot that. Um, even just the hike up to the Emerald Pools was amazing. I just thought, oh, I wish, I wish I could just be here for a week and I would come back in the morning and do this and do that. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I loved it. I really, really loved it. It was fantastic. On a trip like that, do you find yourself making sure you're there for sunrise and sunset and doing anything at night, or do you get finally some sleep at night and sleep during the day and you're only focused yeah, on... Yeah, I can't, I can't really do night photography. I've tried, but it, I, I'm always too tired. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> as much, because I, cause my passion very much is landscape, so that's morning, daytime, and evening. Um, to go out during the night time which i do occasionally for the aurora yeah it's um yeah in this country it's very rare that we get the clear skies and there's also a lot of light pollution so mm. it's quite difficult to get to the locations that yield perfectly clear skies and have that coincide with the new moon and clear right. skies it's almost impossible and we're quite far north so in the summertime here and um, the sky never really gets dark. So. Oh, right. Just right. like in Canada. So um, it's it's not anything. I, I have done astrophotography and tried my hand at it a few times, but it's not. I'm just not passionate enough about it to be able to stay out till two, three in the morning. <laughs> um, I'd much rather be sleeping and then I'll <laughs> go out and shoot in the morning. Yeah, we laugh because that's all we're going to be doing for the next four days is getting practically zero sleep. We had none last night because we drove yeah. to Bandon, Oregon, and now we're going to be doing it at Crater Lake. So we're fortunate that there are dark skies nearby and we can do this. It'd be different, yeah. I bet, if you had a chance to do it more. But in England, we completely get that. I live in the Netherlands. The clouds are always available for you. Always... Yeah, the clouds are always here. If I got out my app now that shows you the cloud coverage for the UK, it's just cloud. So it's <laughs> cloudy now i can see outside it's cloudy <laughs> it's um, and as well as that i think in i imagine where you do night skies in the u.s it's in a very very much a desert environment so mm, i expect yeah. it's you know it's much more pleasurable to work in nice and warm typically um, yeah oh yeah Last nice night, last night we were in the salt flats on our way up here, and we were sandblasted by the salt and the sand, and it was crazy oh, no. wind. But it was at least twenty mile an hour winds. Yeah, we still managed to see most of the Milky Way despite all of that. Yeah. So it yeah, was it's nuts. very favorable in the desert. We love it. Is there a location in the world? I mean, Zion, you went to Norway and had the aurora. Is there anything on your list that you haven't hit yet that you need to go back to or need to do for the first time? Yeah. There's hundreds. hundreds. I, I haven't traveled that much, <laughs> so there's lots. <laughs> but, um, there's a few that are on my list that I am going to visit, which is quite exciting. So this year, even? Where, well, this year, next year. So I'm co not co-hosting, sorry. I'm a guest host um, at a workshop in Antarctica. Oh, Antarctica. I know. Antarctica has always been on my list of dream destinations and when i say dream i mean fairly unattainable dreams you <laughs> right right get there you, you can't just jump on a plane and go you know it requires serious expedition style planning and guides um, right you can't even begin to do it on your own right but you can't it's illegal oh illegal. you can't no you, no, you can't just go sure. yeah yeah the amount of licenses and certificates wow. and so you can't just jump in a boat and get off the boat and go on land. If you go on land, for for example, if you're on a boat and the boat moors up, um, 
you can't just get off the boat and go and walk and oh, you've got to be with a guide and it has to be an allocated time and they need licenses which only allow them to take visitors on land at certain um, certain dates and certain times so it's yeah it's incredible so oh, wow to be asked to co-host a workshop there i just was like yes that's 100%. incredible yeah. I, like, I don't even get paid um <laughs> I, I don't get paid any well that's but fine what, what i what i get paid in is the opportunity to visit yeah precisely so, um, yeah what are so you that's i'm sorry what are you so, hoping to actually capture do you want to capture ice blue ice water animals wildlife well What's, it's not so much the ice, because I want to capture ice, I'll just jump on a plane and go to Iceland. For, <laughs> yeah. You know, mm. two hours to get to Iceland. Or <laughs> I could go to Greenland, um, Svalbard. You know, the Arctic is much more accessible than the Antarctic. That's yeah, true, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. What the Antarctic has is this, it's probably one of the last real wildernesses on Earth. Mm. Um, it's so untouched and so relatively unphotographed. Um, don't get me wrong, uh, you know, Google and there's hundreds of thousands, millions of photographs, but compared to everything else, and it seems to me like it's a, it's it's as incredibly, it's an ever-changing environment. So, um, and it's wild as well. It's the winds and the waves and the icebergs and the wildlife as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think it will result in images that I don't believe you can get anywhere else on earth um so what i the dream for me is for it actually to be quite stormy um jet black seas crashing up against white icebergs penguins uh, whales seals um and also it's quite romantic as well because you've got all of the explorers you know that, that try to reach the south pole so you can you sort of get to see a bit of that journey mm-hmm. um, yeah very very excited for that i really and, think um, that's who you are in your blood i mean you were first an explorer going out in nature and then you brought your camera along and so i think antarctica makes sense why it excites mm-hmm. you and why you feel like oh that's a place i can go and i don't feel like i'm a tourist in the location i feel like i'm an adventurer yeah yeah that that is definitely it um apart from the fact that you need a guide <laughs> <laughs> yeah they won't let me just go for a walk for a few hours which is a shame well, even the guy is um, it's a it's specifically a photography chartered boat, I believe. So all of the guides know why we're there. So that you know, we'll go out in small groups. We will get our own zodiacs, and we'll yeah. So it should be it should be excellent. Wow, um, I can't wait to hear about that. I'm sure with the workshop. Well, you probably have some allowance for recording videos, right? You'll do some blogs. Yeah, yeah. I can't fly the drone. Definitely oh. no drones allowed in Antarctica. That's too bad. But um, I imagine, I, I think I'll probably film something, yes. Fantastic. Um, we can't know around when that's going to happen. Did you say it was in December? Uh, no. um, January 2019. So it's like a year and a half. Oh, wow. Yeah. Huh. Okay. I'll write that yeah, in my so, calendar. <laughs> well, that's, that's the thing. You see, it's such a big job, if you will. It's not like... Um, not something you can book it's also really expensive so um we couldn't there's no way we could fill a workshop in six months so right oh i see you give a lot of time for people to attend and get the money i have a friend who through this podcast we met he is saving up i think somewhere around 20k to go to antarctica to film polar to photograph polar bears yeah that's Mm. the price of this workshop so and you know, I because when they asked me, I I said I'd love to, but I, I have one question for you. 
why is it twenty thousand dollars? Right. Like, mm. So much money. So you know, can, right. can can somebody not just do it for ten, or even less? And you can't because only specific boats have the licenses to go into those waters, and they can only travel at certain times of year, and you can only go on land on certain days. So all of the licenses and regulations mean that it's incredibly expensive, and as well as that, it's incredibly dangerous. It's it's so remote. You know, you're traveling for days and days and days across open oceans. Um, so yeah, you can you can. I, it, it was very apparent to me why it's so expensive, wow. and then I feel less bad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I had never thought about that. I I, I never knew. I want to go more on that, but I have so many other questions I want to ask mm. you. So let me ask you this, because yeah. I think yeah. this is going to be more like a campfire story of Thomas Heaton. We just showed up at, what do you call it, a bothy? Is it only in Scotland, bothy, yeah. or is it in England, too, that has a bothy? All over the UK. All yeah, over okay. the UK. So we just showed up at a bothy, and we are lucky enough that there's Thomas Heaton. We're trying to pretend like we don't recognize you. We're just pretending like, hey, we're just regular <laughs> chaps hanging out with you, <laughs> normal guys. And we get you talking, and you tell us a story about a photography adventure you had where you went out and everything went wrong, but then the image was amazing. Do you th can you picture one story that really t tells that story? Is there anything that you can think of that went like that? Yes. I, um, I did a shoot a couple of years ago. It was, um, it was the bluebell season, so it was early summer and all the bluebells are, are out, and you get fantastic bluebell images. And this is one specific area in um, a place called North Yorkshire, which isn't too far from where I am. Hmm. And um, I thought, great, I'm going to go. And I didn't know where the area was, but I looked on Google Earth and managed to find roughly where it was, and I figured as soon as I get my car into that area and park up, I'll be able to find it. So I was driving to this location, and it was raining. It had been raining all day, like serious rain, <laughs> really heavy rain. And I thought, I was driving thinking, what am I doing? I'm just wasting my time. <laughs> so I pulled up in a lay-by close to a footpath, which I hoped would lead me to this bluebell field. There's a lovely what, mountain in the background. What's a lay-by? A uh, lay-by is just a small area on the side of the road where you can park your car. Oh, okay. That's a better so, word than turnout or a pullout. Pullout, yeah. I like that word more. I think I'm going to use it from now on. A lay-by. Yeah, lay-by. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so I got there, and it was it was raining heavy. And I sat in my car and thought, oh. And I looked at the sky, and it was just black. And I thought, oh, you know, I only had like an hour of light left before it was starting to get dark. Uh. So I thought, well, I'm here. I'll go and see if I can find the location, and I can return another day. So I put uh, all my waterproof gear on. And I left, this is the first time I've done this, and it was such a big mistake, I left my camera in the car. No. I just thought, there's no point, I'll just leave it. <laughs> so I'm just walking through the forest in, in really, really muddy, wet, horrible conditions. I was soaked through. You know, the, the footpath had turned into a swamp, so as I was walking, <laughs> it was up to my ankles and up to my shins, and I'm trudging what I thought was a footpath, I don't know if it was or not, and I'm just convinced that soon I'll come to the um, edge of the forest and there'll be this big field of bluebells with this mountain in the background and big skies. Um, and I'm hiking for maybe 20 minutes, half an hour, and I reach the edge of the forest. I still couldn't see the bluebells. But what I did see was 
there was this huge break in the sky, a really big gap in the clouds, and the oh. sunlight was pouring through it. And because it had been raining mm. so hard oh. all day, that that sunlight was creating big streaks of light, and the sky was was really dark and full of character and moody. And I thought, oh my god, that's coming this way. The light is coming this way. I can't believe it. So I had a decision to make. Do I continue on to try and find the bluebell fields and then probably miss the light and just go home? Or should I take a chance, run back to my car, grab my camera, come back, and maybe we can find something in time for this light? Um, So I did the latter, and I turned around and ran as fast as I could to my car. I was so wet. Everything was soaking (laughs) up. And I got to my car, grabbed my camera, and ran back up. It's incredibly, incredibly steep hill. Oh. Um, up through the forest, and I could see the mountain, um, which was going to be the background subject. Uh-huh. Uh, but I could, I still couldn't find the bluebell field. So I was sort of in and out of the forest, and there's lots and lots of footpaths. So you can go left, you can go right, you can uh-huh. go straight on, you can go anywhere. I was like, oh, no, no. <laughs> and I'm running, I'm so hot as well, because although it was raining, it was still really hot. Oh, it was oh like, yeah, muggy, muggy yeah. Yeah, very muggy. It was always horrible, it was. <laughs> and then I finally came through the trees, and there it was. I saw the bluebells, and I saw the small isolated trees in the bluebell field, and I could see the, the mountain in the background. I thought, this is it. This is the place. This is the spot. So there was no one else there because it was such horrible weather. Um, and I managed to set up my tripod and my camera and frame the shot, and I could physically see the light coming and I could almost count down <laughs> as it swept over the landscape mm. and the light just hit the mountain in the background and then flooded the foreground fields of bluebells with light <sighs> yet the sky in the background was still really dark and stormy and I just clicked my shutter clicked it again and then it was gone that was it wow. that was that fast seconds, that fast um, and the whole ordeal, I was exhausted. Honestly, I've, I've never run so hard in my life. And the, yeah, and it, it 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 was great. It was um, it was a great lesson in never giving up. You know, I was mm. lost and tired and wet and couldn't find this field, but I just kept pushing on and pushing on, and finally got there. And uh, yeah, I got this image, and it was nice. It was a nice, nice image. With brilliant timing, and after running okay, half an hour in, then you ran back and then ran it through again, and you're able to still... Yeah, yeah. Oh, shafts of light like that just don't stick around that much, and you actually had one that did. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. at least... I, well, I, yeah, I could, I could see, you know, it was, you get big views of, you know, the, the surrounding area is incredibly flat. So once you're up, you know, once you're up a height, you can you can see for miles and miles and miles. And I could see several miles away that the cloud, you know, the sky was breaking. And because it was windy, I knew which direction it was coming. And I knew there was a good chance of capturing this. I have not seen that image. Is it on your portfolio on your new website? Uh, I think it's on my, it'll be on my Flickr page. If not, I can just email you the image and you can stick it in the show notes. Or okay. something. Actually, um, we do like to use the guests' uh image for the cover art when we do the podcast do you have anything against me using that image no that's fine it would yeah. be with your photo credit of course nice and large and it would just be That'd the be cool. cover for the photo of yeah. the podcast yes yeah, we'll do it oh awesome. awesome 
Okay, great. Um, let's see. Do you have any questions? I've been taking up all the time asking my questions. Yeah. Um, so you were in Zion for only three days, right? This last trip? Yes, three days, yeah. So when you come back um, and you plan, like, a, you said you want to plan somewhere between a week or ten days or so? Yeah. You think if you had a couple guides like us, you'd like to do at least one night of Astro? Um, Ooh. I don't know. It might exhaust him. That's too an much. invitation. That's an open invitation to. Uh... I would. I would love to do Astro. I really would. I. I just. Um, I don't know if I would be very good. <laughs> good at it. Um, I like the idea of light painting. Um, mm -hmm. I really do. And again, the only reason I don't do Astro, the main reason I don't do Astro, is because I'm. I just. I'm in bed. Um, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I was in Norway at the beginning of the year, we were out all night doing the aurora images that was great but we we're also doing sunrise and sunset so it was quite exhaustive oh yeah and i think if i was in zion i would probably be so sort of fixed on capturing images during the day that i am not entirely sure that i would have the energy at night time to um, yeah. go out and shoot and as well as that, you can't. I can't make videos at night time. So. Yeah, we tried, and it works yeah. okay, but not really. I mean, you use the black and white camera that had the infrared view for your Norway. Mm. Is that on your actual camera that you normally vlog with? That you have a little? No, I borrowed a camera that had an infrared light on the bottom of it. So gotcha. And even that was so difficult because although you can do your typical vlog style pieces to camera, you can't film any B-roll. You can't capture. The feeling of being there at night. Right, it's true. The only way to do that is through images and time lapse. Yeah. So it's um, it's very for me when I make videos, it's the the thing I try to do is make the viewer understand what it feels like to be there, not what it looks like, and not what I'm doing, but what it how it feels to be there. And I do that with a combination of editing and music and making sure I get the correct B-roll. Um, and at night time, that's very difficult. Yep. I completely feel you. I've actually tried to imitate some of your video styles in some of our, our vlogs that are at night, and uh, I've had the same problem. The context is missing other than some images or time lapses. Otherwise, it's yeah, just... Yeah, it's, it's our biggest challenge, spotlight actually. Spotlight on a few guys standing with what could be a field or could be a park, could be a backyard, it could yeah. be anywhere. You have no idea where we're standing. Yeah. It's not as fun, but we're trying. We'll be in Crater Lake and we'll be attempting that again, seeing how that can work. So before we say goodbye and let you go because you've been, you've been nice enough to give us this much time, I wanted to ask you, you talk about your landscape photography changing your perspective. Are there any stories of what you mean by that? Did you actually have a perspective of yours that changed over time thanks to landscape photography? Um, yeah, it's more of an appreciation of the small details in life that you never really notice until you really become a photographer. And that is subtleties in light, subtleties in the sky. Um, the way the evening light falls on the trees or on the rooftops when you look out of your window, the different light temperatures you get depending on the atmosphere, um, the way that waves are breaking, the sand, everything. You you see the world differently as a photographer, and that is 100% fact. Um, before becoming or before finding my interest in landscape photography, I think I remember watching a sunset once. I must have been quite young. I must have been teenager, 13, 14. Um, and I saw the sun go down over the sea and the sky was bright red. And I, I didn't understand why the sky was bright red for such a short amount of time. Mm. I just assumed 
it would be like that all night. Um, hmm. And then as a photographer, you, you realize that these things, they're just fleeting moments. And you might not appreciate that as much if you're, if you're not a photographer. Um, and yeah, you're forever looking at the sky as well. Always looking up at the sky. That's and the you truth. start to be able to predict what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Where other people can't, and it's it's nice. It's um, I think I think it's like uh, it's like being in a little club. <laughs> I think <laughs> you know you can always spot a photographer when the when they're looking at the houses as the golden lights falling on the rooftops. Nobody appreciates that. Unless they're into, well, that's not true, artists, of course, and some people, but the vast majority of the laymen don't appreciate evening golden light, even if it's going over something like a rubbish dump or some <laughs> wasteland. Yeah. Just, just being able to appreciate light and other things in nature is such a fantastic thing, and that's a gift that photography gives you. Um, it makes you see the world differently. And the seasons as well, you appreciate seasons and you appreciate change. And it really is fantastic. People do, when they want to feel that feeling, they go to YouTube, they know Thomas Heaton, they find your videos, and they get that. I don't, you said you don't have any strategy, you have no planning, and yet, naturally, you have been a mastermind at sharing that story, sharing those emotions and feelings of being out there. And sometimes I sit and listen to your dialogue and think, he's not saying anything. And yet, I'm so intrigued and entranced by just everything that you're sharing and just... You do a fantastic job, Tom. Mm -hmm. uh, thanks so much for taking time to make those videos and helping others fall in love with it. There's 130,000 people out there right now that regularly watch your videos, not to mention the ones who haven't subscribed. And, you know, I have stats on our YouTube channel. Do you have like 65% or higher people who are watching that aren't subscribed? Or do you find that now it's entirely subscriptions? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, think there's, uh, I think there's some analytics within YouTube that lets you know who's watching from where and when, yeah. but I don't check. So. You haven't Probably, seen I don't know. <laughs> my my mum watches and she's not a subscriber, so. <laughs> there we go. Your own mom wouldn't There's subscribe. at least one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, thanks so much for taking time. He's Thomas Heaton. You guys already know him. We love his stories. We had a chance to hear some more. If only we could have gotten the video to work tonight. That's a yeah. real bummer. But we're out here in Oregon. I'm what do you expect? Really. You don't want to. You don't want to look at this all day. <laughs> I mean, we're operating out of a car, so it's been a little rough to get things going right. So. <laughs> well, thanks for being inspirational to us. Thanks for taking the time for us, and I hope we get a chance to talk again if it ever happens, and we get lucky to hang out with you here in Utah or even out in a Bothy someday in the UK. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks Thank for you. joining us and talking with everybody. We appreciate it. All right. I'll see you soon, and good luck with your okay. channel. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. See you, man. Have a good night. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Okay, that was awesome. Uh, I mean, I wanted to go on and on and on and on and on. I could have listened to more, but... Yeah, I mean, seriously, and it's not just his accent and his good looks, but it's <laughs> he has love. really good stories, and he's got really good... Because he's the kind of guy that goes out there and really goes out for the adventure and brings his camera with him. I already felt a kinship with Thomas Heaton, and it wasn't just because I admired his work, but because I felt like he was doing something that I wanted to do, and I felt a kinship. But yeah, then today... Yeah. He identified himself as even more like us. Mm -hmm. It was all about the story. He doesn't have a YouTube strategy for marketing or SEO or how to gain more followers. He doesn't have a plan during his videos other than he wants people to experience 
what it's like out yeah, there. Yeah, to go out there and actually feel what it's like when he's out there. Yeah. And that's why he does uh, the videos he does. The atmosphere, awesome. the experience, all of that's important to him. Not so much how his image turns out or whether or not it's portfolio piece. It's just right. that you feel the story, you hear the story, and you're part of the adventure with him. And so, yeah, it's huge a craft of the experience. Yeah. yeah. I love that about him. What an awesome guy. He gave us a lot of time. And then we even spent a few extra minutes afterwards getting some advice from him and talking to him. Just he let us pick his brain a little bit, and it was fun. Thank you, Thomas, for your generous time giving yeah, that and was awesome. joining, joining us so late at your time so that we could have time to even drive to Oregon and get out of the desert where we had no cell signal for the whole time. So he made this happen. He made it possible. Thanks for your generosity, man. Yeah, thank you. So if you guys are new to this podcast, I hope you guys will check out our other podcasts. And we have, what we do is YouTube channel and we have videos of us going out there and learning how to do landscape photography and astrophotography. Now we're learning by practice, by experience. Right, right. And we're bringing people along with us so that we can chronicle our adventures and in a way teach from our mistakes and from our successes or our success stories and how we did it right. Hey, this is a cool tip. You should do it too. Or if we do it completely wrong. This yeah. is what you should avoid. So that's what we're all about. You can find other videos. You can find other podcasts of ours with different titles, and you'll find a companion video for, I think, 100% of them. Yeah. There's yeah, something well, in yeah. the story there. Yeah. Thanks again, guys, for coming along with us on a Photog adventure. Hey, thanks for donating, guys, and hope you have a great week. See you guys. Bye.